Radio Drone. It's another Radio Drone, and just right off the top for all of you that don't care, Brad is not in this episode. 17 minutes before we were about to record, I get a text message from him. Internet's out! Crap! So, no Brad. I did get a couple of other people. I'll introduce them in a moment. But first, go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get three free DVDs, 50% off of a single item, a free mystery gift, and free shipping in the United States, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And now I would like to introduce my friend, Frederick Fritz. Hello. And I would like to introduce my co-worker, Alex Jowski. Hello. So tonight we are going to look at sequels. And since Brad and I already looked at sequels way back in an earlier episode, this will be a sequel to our episode about sequels, which Brad and I actually toyed with the idea of remaking our episode on sequels, but then we thought that was getting way too meta. To reimagine it as a prequel? Well, and technically this show is a reboot of Radiodrome.01. Which would make this a follow-up of the reboot to the sequel. Let me ask you guys, just in general, no no, spe- no specifics at this point, but in general, do you like the idea of a sequel, say, a movie that you really liked, you thought the story was very well told, but it was wrapped up, do you like the idea of a second movie disregarding the fact of whether it's done right or totally screwed up, or would you rather have the story being told just left alone? I, I guess I'd have to say the idea idea of if we're not incorporating the notion of good and bad uh, the idea of a sequel to me is not actually bad tv shows are nothing more than weekly sequels conceptually speaking no it doesn't that's not the aspect that bothers me it would have to be case by case it depends on the story some stories you know there's no problem making a sequel to some do not deserve sequels well, we're going to get more into that in a, in a little bit. I'm just right now looking at the ideal of a sequel. Because something like, I just read a really great article in the new video Watchdog about Exorcist 2. It was basically a breakdown of every reason why The Exorcist did not need a sequel. That's kind of the example I'm going to go with for this. A movie like The Exorcist, the story was told from beginning to end. There was no extraneous plot threads left dangling. Other than the financial reason for Warner Brothers, did The Exorcist need a sequel? Well, it got a good sequel with Repossessed. I don't know what you're talking about those other sequels to it, though. That's a parody. I, I would I would say no, not at all. I mean, uh, forget just the idea of continuing a story. I think that thematically it was completely covered. Exactly. And technically it has a sidequel in the ninth configuration. Remember when she goes and pees herself at that party and she goes up to that astronaut and says, You're going to die up there. That character is the main character in William Peter Blatty's The Ninth Configuration. So it already had a side quill. It didn't really need a sequel. Does it start with her peeing? Because I haven't seen that movie. Yeah, it's based off the book Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane. It's it's actually, I think it's, it's, a, I think it's a great movie. It's a phenomenal movie. As long as you don't get the 90-minute cut that was yes. in the theaters. Yeah, don't see the edited version. Because it, it makes no sense. I mean, where else are you going to see a black man that thinks he's Superman and another man that's writing Shakespeare for dogs in a serious movie? Yeah. I, I always like the line about the suicide pill with a mild li- uh, laxative side effect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, nobody can ever say Blatty was not a brilliant writer. But then you've also got just sticking with The Exorcist. You've got Exorcist 3, which was not actually made as an Exorcist sequel. It was another sidequel 
the same as Ninth Configuration. It focused on Bill Kinderman, a very minor character in The Exorcist, and his adventures. It wasn't even originally called Exorcist 3 until Morgan Creek insisted that they number it so people know it's connected to The Exorcist, which is just dumb in and of itself. But again, on the level of a sequel, was Exorcist 3 even necessary, despite the fact that it's a really damn good movie? Well, no. I mean, the movie itself maybe has been would have been necessary, but not as a sequel to Exorcist. Well, and, and if I just interject, I mean, boy, I guess I'm about to contradict myself, but I, I think with Exorcist 3, what, what I said about the first one was that thematically everything was covered. And I think what happened with 3, uh, well, or a.k.a. Legion, as you said, it wasn't the called original Exorcist. Title. Right, Legion, that he did discover another thought process you know like what if and it covered it, it, in some ways it's sort of weird we've just talked about twi- uh the ninth configuration and in some ways exorcist 3 is actually kind of a, a a mishmash of both of those of exorcist and ninth configuration if you think about it i, I can it, i can absolutely see that i can yeah it, it has the same themes of ideas of like faith and what we put our faith in and how how do we deal with just the nature of evil itself? And so I, I'd say that it was a – I don't know about necessary. That's such a hard word to bandy around. What, what's necessary? It was a well-made, well-thought-out story. Uh, so in that respect, I, I guess it proves us a, a little wrong. But I guess the real thought is, is how does that affect the first one? And it doesn't. It's, it's absence or nor its creation – doesn't affect the first film at all this film could have been released as legion and nobody would have connected the two exactly and that's the the book was just called legion and i don't think the book was even sold as an exorcist sequel or connected to the exorcist if i remember the original press materials for that Uh, i've just i've seen the book at used bookstores just legion i i own the book i've I've got a nice uh, first edition hardcover of it it's an amazing novel it's a just phenomenal novel I've but, just got a cheap, beaten-up paperback. But then, sticking with The Exorcist, this article that was in Video Watchdog goes on to explain how John Borman, a great filmmaker, I really do think he's a good filmmaker, how he absolutely botched up Exorcist 2 on every conceivable level. And then he tried to pass off the reason that Exorcist 2 didn't work onto the audience. He actually said when he caught them opening week laughing at scenes that were supposed to be horrific and not laughing at the scenes that were supposed to be funny, he said apparently all they wanted was more blasphemy and gore and pea soup and I should have just basically remade the first film. These people didn't want something different in their Exorcist movie. And I'm thinking to a degree he's passing the buck. To another degree he is kind of right. Well, I stand that, yeah, his problem was being that it's a sequel to The Exorcist. People were expecting to see The Exorcist again. Also, there are some bad moments in there. My process would be, if, if I can make a weird connection, uh, would be to look at RoboCop 3. And to, uh, quite frankly, uh, this really falls down to the notion of what you asked right at the very beginning. Do certain films even require a sequel? You know, Is there anywhere to go? I would actually say RoboCop is a great example of perhaps a film that should have never had a sequel. All right, I mean any of them, part two, part three, nothing. It really was a complete story. It was all about the arc of the main character. Of, of what, Alex Murphy finding of Alex his, Murphy. His, his, 
his character. His character. The whole film is about his, it's his story. And by the end, it's done. Anything else is just RoboCop fights this, RoboCop. You know, you can see it in your head. Like, you know, sit down and think about what a sequel could be yourself. And if you look at RoboCop 3, the same exact thing happened to Fred Decker. Fred Decker was given a project. He was given less money, and he was told, all right, make the other films, but do this, 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 and this. And, oh, by the way, we're going to only give you a third of the budget. You know, that's that's ridiculous. So I can see – I agree with you. Borman, he's definitely copping out on the fact that he made a bad movie. But then again, how could he have possibly succeeded with all of those mandates? Well, I've also – I've never seen Fred Decker coming out and trying to defend RoboCop 3. I mean, has he? No, I believe in the no. Monster Squad, in the extras on the Monster Squad, he actually kind of makes fun of it. He says, Monster Squad killed his career, and then RoboCop 3 buried it. Yeah. Because yeah, RoboCop 3, there's, there's so many things wrong with that, first and foremost being PG-13. Which was They're mandated. Probably- it was mandated, so... Well, so that's yeah. because they started to realize that their audience, and this, this still does tie into our topic, they started to realize that their audience was younger and younger. That the, the biggest audience for RoboCop were people that legally shouldn't have been able to see the first film in the first place, let yep. alone the second film, which is much more sadistic and not gory, but much more violent. If you can make a split between gore and violence. Well, which would not be the case... For the Exorcist films, because they tend to appeal to an adult audience. Right. In Exorcist 3, even before Morgan Creek cut the hell out of the movie, Blatty made a specific conscious choice to have almost absolutely no on-screen violence. It's all implied, and Brad Dourif's amazing performance describing what he does to the victims. So it was kind of the anti-Exorcist, if you will. And, but, but, and then you've got like the prequels, both of them. For the Exorcist, I've never seen them. Whether you've seen them or not, were they necessary? Did we need to see that? No, I don't think we did. I, I would even honestly, if I may, prequels are, in my opinion, those are the most useless creations ever. I, especially, I think those are terrible. Especially with the Exorcist. I mean, okay, with that story, a demon possesses a girl. What kind of prequel are you going to make? We already know demons exist and where they come from. It's not hard to make an origin story for that. Well, uh, some some people would would say that. Well, we never saw how Father Marin encountered Pazuzu and all that. We just saw the little bits at the beginning of The Exorcist. There's another story to tell. The the, 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 the way that they look at it on a story level is there's more stories to tell. So let's go with it. Whereas Warner Brothers is going, there's more stories to tell. That means there's more movies to make. That means there's more asses to buy tickets. But that that the extended version of The Exorcist, you've got plenty of him in the desert encountering Pazuzu. Well, let's be honest. Whenever, since we're focusing so much on The Exorcist here, what they're seeing is is we have to remember The Exorcist was a phenomenon, okay, in the theaters. And these are executives. They're looking back at the photographs of people lining up around the block. All right. That and the, 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 the groundswell that occurred and all the people that start talking about it. And, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. The people were fainting. They were being carried out, blah, blah. You know what I mean? That's what they're seeing. And they're saying, hey, we got to capture that lightning in a bottle again. And it, it, it's never going to happen, just like Jaws. It's just not going to happen. Jaws would be another movie that, OK, while I don't think Jaws 2 was necessary, it actually felt in a way, at least to me, as an extension of the first film. 
three and four are completely useless. Okay, Jaws 2 didn't even feel like an extension to me. It was not as entertaining, not as good. I hated the fact that, oh, it's a it's a friend of the shark. But uh, what I liked was the Brody character, <laughs> all the Brody scenes, the, you know, all the psychological damage that the first movie did to him. I think actually was a really interesting way to do it, focusing on Brody rather than the shark. Oh, about the 10 minutes that it does focus on Brody. Yeah, it's really more like Jaws the epilogue, really. It's, you know, Jaws the next day. Yeah. I mean, it's it's okay. I, I don't think anybody hates it, but it's, you again, we're debating the necessity. And, uh, you know, most of the time, all sequels tend to do is dilute and pollute people's, you know, their memories of the original or taint yes. them at the very least. So in that particular case, I would say definitely unnecessary. I mean, was there any good in it? Yeah, there was some good moments, but that doesn't necessitate a sequel. I mean, the only time a sequel is absolutely 100% necessary is when it's your intent to make two movies from this one story, like a trilogy, for instance. Mm -hmm. There's more story to tell, literally. Yeah, and you've left it open to leave people wanting the next part of the story. And if you do it properly, you've left clues and breadcrumbs throughout the other two movies to work into the third film. Yeah. Right. Whereas, well, well, I mean, and even if you haven't, to me, like The Road Warrior is a perfect sequel. You don't have to see Mad Max, but if you have, it adds so much more character to Max Rosinski's character. Yes, it does. And I agree. I, I was going to say Road Warrior is actually on my list of probably one of the most perfect of the very small list one of the most perfect sequels ever made. Yeah, because, I mean, hell, most of us in America saw that before we even knew it was a sequel to something. Due to the retitling and the fact that Mad Max hadn't been released here yet, most of us just thought it was this cool movie, and the little backstory they give you at the beginning, that was enough. Yeah, yeah you never have to see Mad Max to watch Road Warrior. And, but then you've got, you've got other ones that, like, some people called Aliens, a completely unnecessary sequel to Alien unnecessary yes damn good yeah it was still a damn good movie and in a way a logical extension of of where of where things had gone in real time since the 80s were the reagan era and the more rambo style it kind of made sense for it to be more of an action military movie than the claustrophobic haunted house and space movie that alien was but on the same level was it necessary Probably not. Well, and, and see, there's I, I think there's an answer we'll never get um, because I think Aliens off, offers up a new film, though. It's it's what would to me be the proper sequel. OK, it's because now you've got a different Ripley. The you know, Ripley was just a blue collar worker in the first film who just is part of this overarching, like you said, haunted house story in the sequel. We're getting more on the mythology of the aliens and we're taking Ripley back and now she's the audience's point of view. We all know what the alien is. We all know what it did. Any one of us would be terrified to be taken back, you know, into this situation. And that's why Ripley is the perfect POV camera. You know, she, she's the perfect vehicle to take us back because she's as scared as any of us would be. She, you know, at the beginning of the movie, she doesn't want to go back who would. And she finds herself in a situation where, because she's, been gone for so long her family's dead she doesn't have anything else and so 
it is a nice continuation. Again, necessity, I don't know. I can't answer that one. But in this particular case, it did turn out there was more story to be told. What about then on the same token, Predator to Predator 2? Whereas, <laughs> no, I mean, okay, a lot of yeah. people don't like Predator 2. I love it. We're going to be getting into that more down the line early next year. We're going to be tackling the Predator movies mm-hmm. as a franchise. But you, you, had, you had an idea that was so different than the first film. And they had established that this was a whole race of these aliens in the first movie that I think there was another story to tell that was entertaining. Because now if they had set it in the jungle and basically remade the first movie, that would have been unnecessary. But Predator 2 decided to take it in a wildly different direction. I can appreciate that kind of bravado, really. See, and I'm going to disagree in this respect that I think it's just the same thing. it's, It's a hunter hunting people as game. If you think about it, really you can boil Predator down to the most dangerous game again. The sequel offers nothing. It's it's not a continuation, it's another hunt. Yeah, it's that's that's it. In a completely yeah. different setting with completely different characters with com- completely different motivations for both the Predator and the characters. Well, not motivations. I would disagree with you on that. His motivations are still trophies. That's clearly said. And but well, okay, okay. If it was in, to in save the, predators in some way, I would agree with you. Like if all oh, they need this or that because their race is hurting or something, I'd agree. But no, it's trophies again. To a degree, but it's a little bit more in the second film. Now I'm gonna go a little assholeish here and say if you read the novelization, you find out a lot more about why the predator is there, and it is more than just trophies. The that novel- means nothing. <laughs> the, the novelization. <laughs> that's yeah. why. That's why I said I'm going to go a little assholeish it's, by pulling that card out. If it's not in the film, it's not canon, as far as I'm concerned. As far as I'm not going to, I should never have to go and pick up my, you know, encyclopedia to <laughs> find out the sub motivation. Fair enough, but like I said, I, I prefaced that adequately. I think. right, right. No, it's preface just, uh, yeah. No, it's and I'll argue that it's the same setting as the original. It's just an urban jungle this time. Yeah. It's still a jungle. Yeah, there's nobody left to hunt from the first movie except for the two survivors, which uh, were originally going to be in it. Yes. That got changed at the last moment. And and I'm very happy for that. Yeah, me too. I'm very happy that Peter Keyes was not not Dutch Schaefer. I'm very, very happy about that. But but then you have – now, this happened really bad in the 90s, way more than in the 80s or even in the 2000s, where you had – the cash-in sequels. Film was a hit. You you started making the sequel before you even had a script. A lot of the direct-to-video movies did these. Oh, they still do that to this day in mass. But, I mean, I'm talking the Children of the Corns and the Amityvilles and movies like that where they were just cranking these things out with no regard whatsoever of quality just so that every Halloween there'd be a new Amityville movie on the video store shelf. Yeah, that was – they've done a lot of bad ones that way. I can't believe how many Children of the Corn movies there are. Yeah, well, we also even... have to take the video market was – that was it was such a booming thing too that they were actually having trouble keeping up with the market too. Yeah, because all all of a sudden, you know, a little half million dollar film was getting rented a million times in a month across the country, and they're like, "Are you kidding me? Get another one of these out there now!" And they were rushed. Fred and I were joking earlier this month when I 
I had no idea there was a sequel to Project Shadow Chaser. I had no clue there was a Project Shadow Chaser 2. I'd seen the first film, and I had no idea that there was a direct-to-video sequel. That's how bad some of these were marketed, too. Yeah, I found out just a couple months ago that there was a third direct-to-video sequel to I Know What You Did Last Summer. I think I knew about that one. I don't think I've ever seen it, but I think I knew about it. Apparently it's pretty bad, though. Well, the first one was awful, too. Yeah, I mean... Second well, one was pathetic. I, I think, for me, one of the funniest is, is still, and I'll never forget this as long as I live, if you look at those... Remember the witchcraft movies? I was going to bring those up, I, actually, so thank you. I don't even know what number they ended on, but I mean... Fourteen, like, I think? it was. I, I, think they, I think there's 14 of them total. I've never even seen one, but I just remember going to the store and there's another one and there's another one that there was actually, and I didn't even know this existed till I worked with a guy. There was a, a series of, do you remember the Mark of the Devil movies, like the foreign Mark of the Devil films? The only Mark yes. of the Devil I remember is that, that 70s one about like the Salem witch stuff. Yeah, well, there's actually a series of these. I didn't even know this. And this low, and I mean, well, let's say a no-budget company had actually bought the rights to it. This is how far it had fallen off the map. And this guy I know shot a on-video sequel called Mark of the Devil 666, because it was a sixth one. Mark of the Devil 666. And guess what? He played Mark. So he was Mark of the Devil. That's a, I get that's, it. That's how far it fell down. I mean, so talk about they just companies keep buying these sequels. See, a lot of like you were talking about Children of the Corn. They're not all made by the same company. Just other companies like they're done with them and they go, okay, hey, uh, we'll sell it. And some other company comes along, oh, we'll buy that franchise. That's why they tend to get worse and worse and worse, especially the Children of the Corns, because it's another company buying them. That's what's happening well, with Terminator right now. Oh, they're making direct-to-video Terminator sequels now? Well, I, I'm saying that's where we're, we're at. We're at that part three was uh, purchased by another company, and they were able to secure Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, okay. So that's why it seems like it's an official sequel. But they were just – it was another company that bought the rights to the franchise, quote-unquote. Then after that bombed, another company secured the rights – well, it didn't bomb, actually. It actually did very well. But you know what I mean. It was critically not well-received. And then another company came along, and they bought the rights, and they were going to do a 4, 5, and 6 as a line of films. And, well, you know, we all Salvation know didn't turn out very well. In the... Surprisingly, the, the, the TV series was doing quite well when, yes. when Fox canceled that for no apparent reason. It, yeah, was, that, you that... Know, it shocked me. It was good. I liked the TV series quite a bit. And the TV series actually had the balls to go out of their way in the second episode to knock Terminator 3 and Salvation out of continuity. So it's a sequel only to Terminator 1 and 2. So I actually I was... appreciated the fact that, yeah, there's no Christina Locan and no Christian Bale in this timeline. I was going to bring up, um, you were talking about direct-to-video sequels, those Disney ones that are sequels to all their movies like Cinderella 2, oh, The Little yeah. Mermaid those, 2. I, I don't even call uh, – those aren't even sequels. Those are cash-ins. Oh, they are. And they have those like Disney princess tales, which are just short little vignette sequels, tie-ins to their princesses that are the, the worst things I've ever seen. 
But see, aren't all generally isn't really all sequels a cash in? I mean, if there's no care, I mean, it, it's like even J- James Cameron said he made Terminator 2 to make money. They said, why did you make Terminator 2? He said, I made no money off the first one. So this was my way of making money. He well, said that. Well, it's, it's just, yeah, it's the same thing with Roger Corman laid it out perfectly where he's, he was talking about the Carnosaur sequels that New, uh, New Horizons was putting out. <laughs> or, or was it New Concord at that point? He, he changes his company I think it was, so yeah, often. I think it was New Concord. Yeah, but I think you're right. I think it was New Concord. Well, not he, a he, single one of those was good. <laughs> but but they all made money. And, and here was his idea of why they stopped that I believe it was Carnosaur 4. When we did Carnosaur which came out just before Jurassic Park, you could almost draw a graph. If you say the cost of the picture is here, and your grosses are here, the gross on the first Carnosaur was there. The second one was here. Sure. The cost of, third one was but, there. But your budgets on each go no, up, though. On that they? one, we held the budgets <laughs> level. And I would draw a graph. They didn't need and, props. And we, went, we went to Carnosaur 5, and our profit was this much. And I said, that's fine. We've had a great run. There will never be a, be a Carnosaur, Carnosaur 6. 6. Yeah. Exactly. He just—he basically was going to keep making Carnosaur movies until they evened out, and then that was it. Yeah, because there's a term for that. It to make money. Yeah, there's a term for. I can't remember what it is. It's it has to do with uh, budget to return ratios, and yeah, as long as it stays within a certain percentage, they consider it a viable uh, act, you know, to to make these sequels. Is that why they ended up making seven Police Academy movies? And the TV series and the animated series. Oh, I remember the animated series. That was, oh. They, they had a live-action TV series for two seasons as well. Did, did it have any of the cast? Michael Winslow was the only regular, but otherwise, like, Hightower appeared in two or three episodes. <laughs> uh, it, had, it had, like, you know, uh, everyone except Steve Gutenberg basically made a cameo at some point in an episode, but Michael Winslow was the only movie character that that was a regular on the show you know they're actually making a police academy eight they're not remaking it they're making a new new sequel see that keeps going back and forth so i never know where they're at with it well the last news i read was from july of this year well i know for a while in the early 2000s howard stern wanted to remake it he 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 owned the rights for a brief time and he (laughs) wanted to remake police academy as an ultra raunchy lesbian fest Shaquille O'Neal playing what's his name Bubba Hightower yeah yeah not good not a good idea but then you've also got sequels where like we pointed out before they keep making them just to make them I gotta go with to like Halloween the Halloween movies after part five which arguably was still telling the same story although badly of the Strode family by that by the time you got to six why were you even making these other than just to make money? Because you see interviews on documentaries of the filmmakers talking about, oh, I got this really unique direction. No, you don't. Dimension wanted to make money, and that was it. That's why 4 was made even, though, just to make money. Mm -hmm. Except 4 turned out good, so I'm willing to give that a pass. Yeah, because they wore jackets. They had jackets. The kind of sequels that, in-name-only sequels, the ones that are blatant cash-ins. You know, by the oh. time you get to the fourth or fifth movie, they've got nothing to do with the first few anymore. I'm looking at, like, the Silent Night, Deadly Nights, and the Hellraiser films. It's Actually, just, we want the name of the franchise, and that's all. The Hellraiser films have kind of stuck with their own 
story. I mean, they're bad. Come come up, after four, they just get terrible. Up until Three recently. Bad too. Up, up until I agree with Alex. Up until that last one that just came out that uh, that was bought by another company. Well, do you know why that last one was made? Was only so Dimension could hold on to the rights. Right. They were going to lose the rights if they didn't make a, another Hellraiser movie in X amount of time. So they just threw – I think that one only had a $250,000 budget, if that. They just threw it at that and said just – it was kind of like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie. Just make it so we can retain the rights. We They never even planned to release that new Hellraiser movie, and then it got some positive buzz. So they said, eh, what the hell. Yeah, the uh, Hellraiser films, though, they've stuck – pretty much with Doug Bradley as Pinhead with the same, you know, backstory for them all. They even brought back uh, Ashley Lawrence in one of them. But but here's the here's the difference with those. Five, six, seven, and eight, none of those were written as <laughs> Hellraiser movies. All of those were just horror movie scripts that Dimension happened to own. And then they would pay someone else to quick rewrite them and make them a Hellraiser film. Oh, you, you've got the killer that's chopping people's heads off? Why not make that a Cenobite? Or in Debtor, I've actually talked to the guy that wrote the original script for that became Debtor, and he said most of his movie is there. Just instead of a cult worshipping a demon, now they're worshipping a Lamarchic configuration and whatnot. And he's like, really, all the changes to his script were cosmetic to make it a Hellraiser movie. They so to him, same. he didn't write a Hellraiser film, but his name's on one. They did the same thing with a lot of the Saw sequels. Well, uh, and if I can point out a, a really strange one, but is Caprica, the TV series, that was not an actual prequel to Battlestar Galactica. It, it was, was awful a, either way. It was a well, I, yeah, I agree. I'm just saying it was actually a, a whole other series they were planning, and when they realized they weren't going to get any more of those Battlestar Galactica dollars, they changed Caprica. They changed it into a prequel. Right, and I think that's the worst kind of exploitation. But you've got ones that are not as bad as the Hellraiser ones, and that would be what they did to the Silent Night, Deadly Nights for 4 and 5. They're awful movies, don't get me wrong. But they didn't actually change those movies other than their title. Those were just two Christmas movies made one or two years apart that I believe it was Trimark that owned the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise at that yes. point. It was Trimark. That Trimark said, well, we've got this movie called The Initiation about witches at Christmas. We could just slap Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 on it, and we get some of the, that sequel dollars. Oh, and they kind I don't know of if, have. But, but, but here's the thing. Here's the question I have for both of you. Let's say The Initiation was completely the same movie. Would you think it would have made as much money, because it was a hit on video, if it had just been released as The Initiation rather than Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, The Initiation? Well, if they had sold it with the producer of The Reanimator... I believe they did that anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, without the Silent Night, Deadly Night saying... Yeah, he's that referring it was, to its own marketing campaign. Its own marketing. I mean, marketing it has The Initiation from Brian Yuzna. I think you've created the ultimate, you know, it's it's the impossible question. I, I would say that obviously, no, they would not have made the same amount of money. We can't say what their marketing campaign would have been otherwise. So it could have been successful. It couldn't have. I would say, though, obviously, no, it wouldn't have. Made, they found an easier way to make money. I mean, they did like Cyborg 2. Uh, Cyborg 2 has absolutely nothing to do with Cyborg 1. 
It was a completely different movie. It was, uh, I think it was uh, Shadow Glass, I think was the original title, and or Glass Shadow or something like that. And they, at the last moment, bought the rights to Cyborg, the Van Damme film, threw in some flashbacks and just made it a sequel. So, you know, that you know, nobody would have probably gone to see that one either. But, but so he, 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 here, here's, no. my con- here's my contention, though, Fred, that... The initiation might have made more money if it had not been a Silent Night, Deadly Night sequel. And that's that came out right at that time of the late 80s, early 90s, where sequelitis backlash was starting to happen. Where, where, where people were like, oh, God, a fourth one of these? Oh, God, a seventh Friday the 13th? You've got to be kidding me. I actually think at the time that that came out, it might actually have still made a good amount of money standing on its own if they had tried to sell it as something original and not a sequel it could it had potential to stand on its own without that silent night deadly night crutch well if i may see now you didn't throw in that parameter about that was i've never seen i by the way i've only seen one and a half of any of these silent night deadly night so and i didn't realize the time period was when the backlash started of course when the backlash started yeah of course it would it's it's a detriment you know it's sequels the, the biggest problem with any sequel to begin with let's let's forget the whole backlash for a moment is that is is the is the notion of being compared to the original all right especially if you have the characters back or not back or you know people are constantly going oh i i wish this person was in it or why is this person completely different uh this would be a this is a weird one but the movie uh shanghai nights which was a sequel to shanghai noon uh shanghai noon was like a really fun lighthearted movie you know what i mean popcorn flick just fun and then you see Shanghai Nights, and it's terrible because the characters don't even seem like the characters from the same from the first film. It's the same actors, but their attitudes are completely like Owen Wilson in the first movie is this sort of zen like gunfighter, you know, very laid back and hey man, do we have to fight? Then you look at the second film, he's a jerk, like he's a mean spirited jerk. And therein lies the problem with any sequel, especially if you don't have the same writers and. You know what I mean? It's like you're comparing. Right. And that'll kill any sequel, obviously, if there's not some sort of flow through. It's the it's the old joke. Do we remake the original? How different do we make it until people don't recognize it as an actual sequel or continuation? That's its biggest problem from from day one. Well, then then let me ask you, what about something like Tron Legacy when you make a sequel 30 years after the original? Is, to me, that's just cash-in, especially – and now here's where I really am not sure if Disney knows what they want to do with the Tron franchise. At the time Tron Legacy came out, they were calling it a reboot and a sequel at the same time. How the <laughs> f*** do you do that? How is it a sequel and a reboot? Yeah, that's becoming popular yeah. now. The It's both. Brian Singer's Superman Returns was a sequel and a reboot. And it was a train wreck, too. Yeah, it was a turd. Oh, yeah, it was bad, but it was but, but, a sequel I mean, and a reboot. But let's look at Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy, do you need to have seen the first film to follow it? And I put the word follow in quotes because the film is so abysmally, stupidly written. Not really, <sighs> but it actually helps the story a little bit if you have seen well, it helps Tron. It, and it hurts it again. It's It counterdicts so much from the first movie. And... Like you said, it is a continuation, so it is a continuation. At the same time, if you compare it, they go against many of the the themes and ideas set up by the original. 
and I don't gosh I hated that movie so much uh, Tron um, Legacy is one of the dumbest big budget films I've seen outside of a Transformers flick I just I, I, I have so many problems with it and I don't even want to go into it but I mean it's like just little things like the idea that it's a digital world okay you're it's translating a human being into digital information but yet not only is he wearing human clothing but he gets which is fine because that could be like say matrix you know what they called uh, uh was residual self fine the clothing is digital information now but they have these other programs step out and strip him and put him in a digital well outfit. i mean it's, yeah but you've it's also like, got that was friend. idiotic well, but was, it gets even dumber. Like you know, you, well, that's like, just one thing. I'm yeah, just, I was like, just pointing at one thing. Because like one of the problems <laughs> I had, like the, they have that big dinner and it's like a turkey or a chicken or something. So did somebody program in a cooked chicken, or did they program in chickens that the programs go and kill and cook? Why would programs need to eat chicken? Why would programs need to go to a dance club? This is stupid. It's just <laughs> the, the movie is just abysmally stupid. If you remember, they claimed those objects were actually there. That that somehow Flynn had had written a new program uh, to put these items physically there, which, of course, is the dumbest of all the ideas. Yeah. I mean, they've got water in a computer program. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> well, I'm just going to give you a heads up, Josh, that Tron Legacy's got a pretty big fan base. Don't care. And the sequel's already been announced. It just They just announced it. But he... Okay... Then let me ask you guys something like this. Now, I do like the second film. I agree it's not as strong as the first, but something like Ghostbusters 2 is generally seen as a disappointment to most fans. I think it, while it is not as strong of a film as the first one, it's not a bad film in any way. It is unnecessary. I think the first Ghostbusters told all the story it needed to tell, but at the same time, why do you think fans were so disappointed by the second one? They now, just, just kind of made the same movie over again. Yeah, that was but just were... them restarting. That you know, the, they start out as the in the same the way they did in the first film. Basically, they're they're losers. Their lives are going nowhere, and until they come back as Ghostbusters, then they achieve something. It it's a reset. They have him break up with her, obviously off camera, in something we never see, just so they can bring her back as the potential love interest again. It was shameful. Well, was, and then Ghostbusters. Although I was gonna say I really liked the uh, the real Ghostbusters animated series more than the Ghostbusters two. I liked the animated series too, but then that also brings up the question: when a sequel requires the first film be negated to allow for the sequel, like Ghostbusters two, uh, everyone knows ghosts existed by the end of the first film. Pretty irrefutable proof. Had they all just forgotten this by the beginning of the second film or the asinine and i know i i'm I'm an idiot for even trying to apply logic to a transformers revenge of the fallen but the fact that they've actually tried to cover up the events of the first transformers in the second one it's like are you insane you mean those millions of people that saw giant rampaging robots there was not one image caught on film no video what did they try and pass this off at? The fact that they try and make a conspiracy out of it just shows how dumb that movie was. It's well. a it's it's a lazy convenience. It's the same convenience that's used in sequels where at the beginning of the sequel they kill off the survivor of the last film. It's it's a lazy convenience. We don't know what to do with this character. Let's get rid of them. 
you know, because, well, we got to acknowledge them, but let's get rid of them. It's a lazy convenience. Again, it's just like the Ghostbusters 2. They need a restart. They don't have conflict. So what's the conflict? It's the same scenario in Ghostbusters 2. Well, what's the conflict? Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll just do the same exact conflict as the first film, which is, you know, the mayor, you know, they're disbanded. They're called, uh, they're doing illegal activities, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's the same thing as the first film, just in a different order. In the second Transformers film, oh, we need conflict. Well, how do we create the con? Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll just reset and people don't know robots exist again. It's just, it's a lazy convenience. It's the it's laziest. Like with, with the Saw sequels, I mean, from the first one, it's established that Tobin Bell's character is on his deathbed. But they manage to like, and they even kill him off in Saw 2 or 3, but they manage right. to keep that character dragging him along through all the sequels by but, saying they all took place at the same time or something. But, but he, here's here's one thing one film where I know that that they that they did what Fred said they did as lazy they did it on purpose to screw with the audience and that was Maniac Cop two, killing Bruce Campbell ten minutes into the movie him having been the hero of the first film, that was a conscious decision that William Lustig made he they had Bruce Campbell for longer if they needed him he said no one will expect us to kill Bruce Campbell the biggest name on the cast and the arguably the star of the franchise, that'll be a great plot twist. So that was done for plot reasons. You know what? And just, I'm not doing, I swear to you, I'm not doing this to argue. Here's the problem. He failed. I was, I love Maniac Cop 2, by the way. I'd like to point that out. I really love it. I think it's a good movie, but I knew Bruce Campbell was going to be dead. I knew because by that point it was an, it was a trope. It was literally a trope. You knew it was the just because he said, oh, it's a conscious decision didn't make it any different than Friday the 13th part two. It, it didn't make it any different just because you know, I didn't know the behind the scenes. I just saw both movies back to back. That's just how I happened to see them. And I was sitting there watching. I'm like, OK, they're going to kill Bruce Campbell. Off. And they did. It didn't work. He failed in that regard. In that regard. I think he made a great movie. Well, with sequels. A lot of times, like, you brought up the Friday the 13th there, you know, making your main character immortal is just too convenient. But then sometimes you have the reverse end where, like, the Child's Play movies, where each consecutive one is just a more contrived idea of how the, the killer comes back. That's yeah. diminishing returns. You know, it's the land of diminishing returns. You just have to get weirder and sillier and sillier until there's just nothing left. Which, which also brings up, like, the Chucky movies and the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Streets. Although Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm willing to give a little more leeway on this because it was dreamlike and already in a fantasy setting. You kill the you kill the monster, the killer, Jason, whatever, and then you bring them back. Something like Aliens, there's millions of them out there potentially. You're not bringing back the same alien each time. The Predator movies, it's not the same Predator. Every Every Friday the 13th, that I, I saw these in the theater, almost all of them in order. Every time you knew, Jason's not really dead. He's going to be back next year. And yeah. that really does diminish your enjoyment of the film. When you know that they're franchising it, you know he's not dead dead. And yet each time they keep trying to come up with a way, uh, he can't come back from this. Oh, they found a way to bring him back from this. Well, uh, yeah, especially I... with seven and eight, they they specifically the movie opens with a way to bring him back. Nine, however, did not. Jason goes to hell. He just is there. Well, and if I can bring up a, a very not to we're talking about things that are pretty well established. I think most people know this. You know, the the Friday the Thirteenth series is the series that kind of and Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street 
you know, they're the ones that can created this whole nightmare of, you know, one film after another film with the same character, with the same conveniences. But what's interesting is the notion of sequels that could go places. And this is something I don't think people talk enough about. Those sequels that could be better, that could have gone places. And one series that comes to my mind that could have been so much better and had one film that wasn't too bad was Darkman. Darkman was an idea that you could have, you know, because he's very comic book, first of all, obviously. But theirs is a story that offered so many possibilities because of his his so-called ability. Yeah. And if you've seen uh, Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die, uh, which was actually part two because they, they changed the release order. But it's the one with Jeff Fahey. It's a, there's actually some really good stuff in that film. And it shows what they could have done with the Darkman franchise because he not only takes the face of this gangster played by Jeff Fahey, but he ends up in the life of, of his like wife and child. And he ends up caring for them. So this isn't just him looking for revenge like the first film. He ends up caring about these people. And he finds himself at a crossroads that he wants revenge. He wants to continue his research. And then, uh-oh, here's these two lives I've interacted with and I'm starting to care about. This shows that this was a series that could have been something. You know, it could have been a TV series, which it was originally su- supposed to be. I, I actually uh, have the unaired pilot for Dark that, Man. Okay, yeah, that fell through. And then they decided, well, let's do direct-to-video sequels because we can have a little bit more money. Okay, fine. They weren't that good, let's be honest. Uh, But the idea was there, and the potential was there. And see, I think that's the thing, that when you look at these Friday the 13th movies, they're safe. It's the same thing. Jason comes back, he kills people, someone wins to some degree. you know. And uh, lather, rinse, repeat. And they give them at least one piece of credit. They always try to infuse something a little different. You know, with the earlier ones. Well, uh, like a, a perfect example is the discarded Peter Jackson script for Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five, right. which would have been a very interesting take on Freddy Krueger, that- and the studio didn't like it because it was so different. They basically mm-hmm. said, "Our audience wants the same movie over and over again. We yeah. can't use your ideas, Mr. Jackson." And this um, is where I was going to go. If I can, I'm sorry, let me wrap this up. I'll, I promise, I'll wrap it up real quick. That, that was where I was going with this about like the Dark Man versus the Friday the 13th and Nightmare series was that think about Nightmare on Elm Street. That was an idea. Unlike Jason, Nightmare is an area that you could go anywhere with Freddy Krueger, OK, because he's a nightmare. You can have Freddy Krueger in Japan. You could have Freddy Krueger. I had an idea. I'm not kidding. I was working on a sequel idea set on Wall Street and this Ooh. notion of tying in, you know, Wall Street suicides with Freddy Krueger. I mean, think about it. The. You could go anywhere with Freddy Krueger, but they keep him on freaking Elm Street. Because it's in the title. Well, because it's in the title, but it's not like you had to. You know, you, you didn't have to keep it there. You didn't have to keep Alien on the spaceship. And franchises <laughs> franchises can change their title halfway through. Look at Rambo. <laughs> yeah, the first film is not called Rambo. It's First Blood. Yeah, it's First Blood. So, yeah, they could have spun it off into any direction they want and made it so imaginative the peter jackson version of of the script proves that too but they didn't and therein lies i think the biggest problem with sequels there's nothing wrong with the idea of a sequel there's nothing wrong with it at all what the problem is is the sequels they're making i did want to bring up that new star trek sequel though star trek into darkness as much as the trailer looks good that's a terrible title yeah it is a 
stupid title. And I actually think the trailer does look good because there's a lot of people that are just like, oh, food, this isn't right. Uh, the, the Enterprise is coming out of the ocean. But what J.J. Um, Abrams did when he rebooted it is he specifically made it to where this is a different universe. Yes, it, it, it's an alternate dimension. So he doesn't have to stick with the continuity that we know. That was a genius move on his part because yeah. if he had just made a sequel tre- or a prequel, Trekkies would have torn it apart. If he had done it that way, and and Trekkies are trying to tear apart the sequel, like it doesn't look at all or feel like Star Trek. Given the kind of inglorious fading into obscurity that Star Trek became at the end, do you really want that Star Trek back? Yeah, you, you, Voyager and Enterprise were not a great way to cap off the original franchise. Yeah. At least the J.J. Abrams movie gave us our Spock, and that was something. But so, actually, I am looking forward to that Star Trek Into Darkness. I'm just going to call it Star Trek 2, though, because I don't like that title. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact me at 1201beyond at gmail.com. If someone wishes to contact my friend Frederick Fritz, where would they find him? Well, uh, www.movieapocalypse.com or at the uh, following address that Alex is about to give as well. Coworker Alex. www.geekjuicemedia.com. And hopefully there won't be a sequel to this episode. Good night.
sweat. The right heart to catch that hurt, but the 